Good morning. It is super good to see you all here. Uh, all the regulars, great to see you. Um, it's always a joy together with the saints to worship, to learn, to meet with God. And if you're visiting with us here today, we're especially honored to have you as well. Um, just want to reiterate something that Nick said earlier in the welcome. Um, if you're looking for a church home or you're looking to find out more information about Solid Rock, the, one of the best ways to do that is to attend the Welcome to Solid Rock class that we do uh, first Sunday of each month. And so two weeks from today, uh, we'll have one. And so you, the way you let us know is the welcome card in front of the, in front, the seat back in front of you. You just pull it out, fill it out, drop it off at the Welcome Center on your way out, and we'll get you signed up for that class. A great way to get involved. If you just have general questions about the church, though, um, once we dismiss, our elders um, will be out in the commons area uh, wearing lanyards just so we're easy to identify. And so feel free to approach any elder just if you've got questions about the church or prayer needs, things going on that you want you want to bring to our attention. So I want to, want to welcome you, but let you know all those things. Uh, and if you're, if you're looking for a new church home, this is really important, um, and you're looking for that perfect place, um, let me just let you know this is not it. Uh, <laughs> amen. That was a staff member who said that, by the way. Um, but this is a place where imperfect people gather together um, on a regular basis um, to meet with a perfect God who meets us in our imperfections, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our weakness, um, and that is where we're being made strong. That is where we are he being healed and being put back together. And so if that's you and you're looking for a place where you can come and just be real to meet with a, a perfect and a holy God who loves you, this may be the place for you. And so I want to just tell you that up front. Um, that's what to expect if you hang around. Um, so, uh, and, and, and there's this joke that always gets said by preachers. If you find a perfect ch church and you stay there, like it's not perfect anymore. You've heard that, right? Like don't, right? So like leave if you find the perfect church. I'm just saying all I have to say, like truly, regardless of where you are in your faith or looking for a church, we'd be honored to have you and your family be a part of Solid Rock family and what God's doing here. Um, also members, we do have an all member meeting coming up next Sunday, uh, five o'clock. And so we do this periodically throughout the year, but we do it every January, regardless of what's going on. Um, if you've never been, this is just a time to look back on the last year, take some inventory on the goodness of God, what he's done, a chance to look forward uh, to what we expect to happen this year. Uh, but in this meeting coming up, we're going to be talking about a culture shift um, happening in our church uh, for our good. And so I'm um, excited to talk about this with you as members. Um, it's already began and it's in full force and we're seeing some really, really great things come out of this. It's not a shift in theology. It's just a better application of what we already believe. So let me just say that up front. We're not changing our statement of faith. We're not changing what we believe. Uh, but there are some things stirring that you're beginning to see um, kind of play out in real time. And I just want to talk through that with you as the body of Christ. So we'll be doing that next Sunday at our all-member meeting. I want to invite you to that. All right, so we are in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Uh, we're walking through uh, the dawn of the church. This is where the church began, day one. And, uh, and we've made it to uh, verse 42. And uh, so our approach to scripture and to teaching and preaching is this. We believe that God's word is inerrant, infallible. It's perfect. It has no errors. Um, it's useful for teaching, for correcting, for guiding in life, and for leading people to salvation and leading us towards healing. And so we, we have a high view of God's word. Uh, from time to time, somebody might ask me, like, how come we don't preach on this particular topic more or this particular topic more or this particular topic more? And my answer is always, well, we preach on it every time it comes up. We want the word of God to speak for itself and to tell us what to talk about. And so I'm saying all that to say that sometimes on a Sunday morning, we'll cover 20 verses of scripture on a Sunday morning, and then sometimes we'll slow down and we'll just make it through one verse. Today is going to be one of those days, it's kind of rare, but we're going to spend most of our time on one word, 
one word in context in the early church looking at what is going on. So last week, uh, Nick Hill was preaching. He was talking about this early church. These believers, um, they devoted themselves to things, fully devoted themselves to several things. And one of the things they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. And he talked through that with us, what that means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. And so this week in verse 42, we're going to go to the next thing they were devoted to. I'll begin at the beginning of the verse. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the second thing that is mentioned um, is the word fellowship. And uh, the Greek word is koinonia. Both of those words are not that unfamiliar in the church. Uh, somebody was telling me earlier that they, they, their kids went to a co-op that was called koinonia, and different churches have ministries maybe called koinonia, and we use that word fellowship. Sometimes in churches, we'll, we'll name a, a particular building or room the fellowship hall, and what we mean is that, that we hope that's the place where fellowship takes place. Uh, sometimes we'll refer to like a potluck dinner as a fellowship time, and so we're hoping that whatever else happens besides, um, you know, Miss Wanda bringing her homemade rolls is that some fellowship will take place whatever that is. And so we're going to look into this idea of fellowship and what God intends for us as a church. If we are going to be devoted to these things as a church, we need to figure out what this means. What does it mean to be devoted to the fellowship? So the word koinonia is a powerful word. It's beautiful. It's full of meaning, and it doesn't easily translate into English. Matter of fact, we're going to get like four different English words. One of the English words that you translate koinonia into is the word fellowship. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Another word is the word partnership or participation. That's another way that the word gets translated. Uh, interestingly enough, another way this word gets translated, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is contribution, like a financial contribution. Same word, translated. And then another way we're going to see it um, play out, and it really is going to look subtle at first, but it's going to have powerful implications, is the word share. It also gets translated this idea of sharing in some kind of experience together, that we share in some kind of life-on-life experience together. And all of these things I just said are packed in to this beautiful word, koinonia. And whatever it means, the early church was devoted to it. So what do we mean by devoted? These are just some notes from Nick's sermon. He says that to be devoted to something uh, means that you have earnestness towards something like a sincerity of heart towards something. It's not casual to you. It's meaningful to you. Um, Not only that, you persevere in that feeling towards that thing. Uh, Here's another way uh, to think of it. It's the constant, diligent giving yourself to something. And then he said this, it's the giving of oneself in a continuous way. So no matter how you play out devotion, uh, from a biblical perspective, it has like a duration of time attached to it, right? So it's not something I step into for a moment. I'm fully devoted. It's Sunday morning. Let's go. And now I'm back in my car. Whew, I survived. Nobody asked me to do anything. I didn't get signed up to volunteer. They didn't ask me to give money today. Like, whew, I made it. And the next Sunday, I'll be devoted again. The the, the idea of devotion here carries with it this idea of a duration of time. It's continual. There's a perseverance involved. So for whatever they were devoted to, it wasn't easy come, easy go, step into it, step out of it. They were all in. And so now we're going to begin to apply that to this idea of koinonia. So the first word, fellowship, to better define that, what we don't mean is just a simple casual gathering. Simple casual gatherings can happen all over the place and do. Uh, You can have a Christmas dinner at work and that's a 
casual gathering, okay? But it's not a koinonia. When we talk about koinonia, what we mean is an intimate association or kinship. It's more than just you and I being at the same place at the same time, eating the same meal. You and I are bound together in a unique way. So, so here's the idea of what this means. Somebody who is in a koinonia relationship would say these kinds of things. I'm devoted to you. I'm devoted to you, and I am not going anywhere, and you are not too much for me. Now, your situation may be too much for me, but you aren't. Those are the, that's the language of this idea of fellowship. I'm not going anywhere. We, we, we pull this into marriage vows, and we say, for better, for worse, right? Sickness and in health, rich or poor, till what? Till death do we part? That's an expression of this level of intimate relationship. The idea of, of, a, of a common contribution is to share one's possessions with. Now listen, this is important, with a mutual interest. So this is not the same as seeing a GoFundMe come across your social media and going, oh, my heart feels stirred to give to that benevolent situation. That's perfectly fine, right? We call that generosity, generous giving, benevolence. That's all fine and well, but that's not what this word means. This word means I contribute financially to something that you and I have mutual interest in, something we're working on together. It's not something outside of my sphere of life that I'm stirred to help with. That's perfectly fine. But when we talk about koinonia as a contribution or a financial contribution, it's something you and I have mutual interest in. So the language would sound like this. We're in this together. So I'm ready to contribute financially to what we are doing. If you ever get the feeling in a church, like somebody standing up front saying, I want you to give to what I am doing, flags, warning flags should go up. Warning sirens should go off. Or even, I want you to contribute financially to what all of us are doing up here on stage or what the elders are doing. That's not the church. Koinonia is this, this call, this invitation for us to give mutually, sacrificially, generously to the thing we are doing, which is going to lead to this idea of partnership or participation. I use the illustration of the first service. It's the idea that we've got this heavy piece of furniture to move. So just imagine this huge table, and I can't lift it by myself. I can maybe get one corner up, and then just for a second, I've got to set it down. And the idea that you and I have this partnership is that you get across from me and then somebody else notices we're lifting a heavy piece of furniture and they come over and they grab another corner. And the next thing you know, there's somebody here in the middle and then all around the table. And the next thing you know, we're able to what? Lift it together. What I couldn't do by myself, we do together. It's a partnership in a common endeavor. It's not silo church where I go over to student ministry and do my thing and I just mind my own business. And this person goes over here to kids' ministry and does their own thing. This person's involved in whatever technology and they do their own thing. No, it's the idea that when you show up on Sunday or Wednesdays or anytime we gather and you're working in the nursery, have you been to the nursery lately? Nursery's growing. Like, it just sounds like life and joy (laughs) over there. Nursery workers love you, you're awesome. That's a corner of the table. That's somebody saying, this is what I'm gifted and called to do. I can't do what that person over there is doing, but this is my corner and I can lift it. Uh, Before the first service, I was telling somebody out in the the commons area, I was like, you know, if I didn't do what I do on Sunday mornings, my favorite volunteer position would be greeter. I I love that. 
I love to stand and just welcome the saints as they come in. I think it really it brings me joy. I love to do that. I wish I could do it more. That's a, if you do that, that's a piece of the table. You're here picking up on something, making coffee, straightening the chairs. Do you know we have a team that comes in on Sunday to straighten the chairs and make sure you have the little pieces of paper in front of you so that whenever one of us says, grab the form in front of you, it's actually there. It's just, it may feel insignificant in the moment, but it's a piece of the table. So the idea of participation is not that we just show up and get busy in church, is that we show up and as we serve, right, we're partnering in this mutual endeavor together. And then this last one, which is conceptually a little bit more difficult to wrap our minds around, it's the idea of a shared experience. So we hear that, we're like, oh, okay, that means we go do something together. Now, it could mean that, right, but it's broader than that. We're going to see, as 1 Corinthians 12 says, that when one member of the body suffers, we all, what, suffer. Whether you're there or not, you feel it. And when one member of the church and one member of the body rejoices, we all rejoice together. This life-on-life thing that we call the church. So now, those are all descriptions or definitions of what it means to be a part of a fellowship. But that's not actually what we read. They were not devoted to a fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. Now, in the Greek language, it's very intentional. So if the article is present, the word the matters. It wasn't like the church started blowing up and everybody's getting saved and, and, and God's saying, okay, now go get involved in something. They were all being invited into a specific fellowship that had kind of clear boundaries and definitions and descriptions. And it's this thing we call the church, and in this passage it's called or referred to as the koinonia. So let's talk for a minute. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through um, kind of a survey of the New Testament on how this word koinonia gets used in these various ways so that you and I might have a better understanding of what was going on in Acts 2.42 so that we might have a better understanding of who we are to be today as the church. So let's just look at some of the ways this gets translated out. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, um, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church and he says this in verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, that's the same word, of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's a, there's a center to our fellowship, and in this passage, the fellowship is identified as what? The fellowship of Jesus. But then if we go on to 2 Corinthians, next letter he writes to the same church, verse uh, chapter 13, 14, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So it's not just fellowship with Jesus, it's also fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 John 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have, listen, fellowship with us, that's the word, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So our fellowship is established on the identity of who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, listen, this is where it's going to maybe get challenging for some of us. Our fellowship with one another is predicated on fellowship with God first. We're going to see that clearly in just a minute. And I'm saying that to you um, as, as, a, as just a, a kind um, but, but maybe, maybe kind of a harsh 
awakening a reminder to you, and here's what I mean by that. If you come to church and you attend a church here somewhere else, and you find enough there to keep you coming back, but you don't have a relationship with God, over time what's gonna happen is you're gonna find value in your time, but then you're gonna begin to hit a ceiling where you look around and you say, why don't I have what he has? What am I missing? What does she have? I want some of what she has. I want some of what he has. And here's the reason why. Your fellowship with one another has to begin with fellowship with God. We're gonna see that play out in a very, very specific way in just a minute, but understand, to be a part of the koinonia, you have to first have a relationship with God, this kinship with God, this tight relationship God has already said to you, I'm not going anywhere, but where you say to him, okay, I'm all in. God has already said, I'm not gonna leave you nor forsake you. Here are my promises. He's laid them out. He said, believe them and you'll have it. Everything that I promise is yours if you will simply believe. And your response to that is to say what? Okay, I'm in. I'm all in. And so our fellowship with one another begins, first of all, with a fellowship with God. Now let's start talking about how that bends out towards one another. Uh, looking at 1 John chapter 6, verse 10, if we say we have fellowship with him, and the him is God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's a pretty harsh warning. What John is saying is if you say with your mouth, I have fellowship with God, I have a relationship with God, I am a Christian, yet what's coming out of your life is that you're walking in darkness, you're living a lie. And then he's going to add another layer on top of this. He says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what we would expect him to say is we'll have fellowship with God, right? Isn't that kind of the undoing of what we just said? You say you have fellowship with God, you're walking in darkness, you're lying. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we'd expect him to go, that means you have fellowship with God. But look at what he says. He says not only will you have fellowship with God, what does he say? You're going to have fellowship with one another. Your relationship with God will bend out horizontally towards one another. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, 1 John talks a lot about fellowship. In 1 John chapter 3, he gives us a real practical example of what this should look like. In verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So here's the idea. What God has done for you should be willing to do for other people, right? Christ has laid his life down for you, so there should be this willingness inside of you, even a desire to lay your life down for others. God has been generous with you, so there should be this, this kind of coming out sideways or horizontally towards others, a generosity. God has forgiven you, so there should be this readiness in your heart to do what? To forgive. So what God has done in your life, he desires to do what? To push it out and through your life to others. And then he gives us a real tangible uh, example here in verse 17. He says, but if anyone has the, wor the world's goods, meaning if you have enough, you have home and you have food and you have everything that you need, you have the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does love, God's love abide in him? You catch what he's saying here? It's not enough to say I'm a Christian or show up on Sundays. A pretty good litmus test for whether or not you truly have fellowship with God is what? Your fellowship with others. Your willingness to serve others. Your willingness to do for others what God has so generously and abundantly done for you. John's saying, man, I would, I would tap the brakes. 
I would take a step back and take some inventory. You see a brother in need and you're not willing to help him or her provide a meal, provide what is needing? Johnson said, man, I would question the sincerity of your faith to begin with, whether or not you even know God's love. In 1 John 4, 8, he says it this way, anyone who does not love does not know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so the idea is, first of all, that we have to have fellowship with God before we can have fellowship with one another. But then the second part of that is the fellowship of Jesus is made visible in what? Our fellowship with one another. My relationship with you should reflect God's relationship with me. Now, it's, it's not a perfect reflection, is it? Right? So don't go to your brother in Christ like, you know, Jesus has done all this for you. Why aren't you doing all this for everybody else? That's not the idea here. It's, think of it more like a, like, a, like a small reflection or even an echo of God's kindness to you that it would just continue to pour out of your life. Again, not a perfect reflection of what God has done in your life. But if you truly love God, it will be visible. In what? The way you love others. Now this next facet of what it means to be in koinonia we're going to talk about is this idea of the partnership piece. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 2, book of Galatians. Paul gives a lot of insight and history into his relationship with the other disciples. So it's important to keep in mind, Paul was not there in the, in the first days. Like he wasn't a disciple of Jesus. Uh, he wasn't there at the resurrection. Matter of fact, in Acts 2, where we're reading this, Paul was actually going by the name Saul, and he was leading the persecution against the church. Like he was the one who had written permission from the government to go door to door, and if he found any Christians, he could drag them out of their home and take them to the square and put them to death with stones. So he wasn't around when the church was starting. So look at what he says in Galatians chapter 2. He says, and when... James and Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. So he's talking about when he first met these guys, Peter, James, and John. These were disciples. They were there in Acts 2. He says, when I met them, they perceived in me that I had the grace of Jesus. They gave the right hand of fellowship, that's koinonia, to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or to the Jews. Paul's talking about is like when he met these guys, they're like, hey, we see the grace of Jesus in you and your partner Barnabas, we see the grace of Jesus in him. We're all partners. Why don't you guys grab that corner? We'll grab this corner. We'll handle Jerusalem and these surrounding cities and you two, why don't y'all head out and go to the Gentiles? Why? Because we're all partners together on the same, we're all lifting the same table together. In Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So this is a very affectionate piece of his letter. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because why? Of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
So Paul's using that word koinonia to describe his partnership with other believers. Even though they were in different towns, different regions doing this ministry, they were doing the same ministry. So the mission that Jesus gave the disciples after the resurrection, hey, you guys go and make disciples of the nations and baptize them and teach them to observe all that I've commanded. That's, That's the furniture that's being lifted here. And you only got 11 guys starting. When God's building his church, people begin to come around that mission and they begin to lift together. Church, it's so important for us to understand that. We are partners in this deal. The ministry of church is not the responsibility of elders and pastors. Sunday school teachers, kids volunteers, as you serve in whatever capacity you serve, you're on the, you're, you're, you've got a piece of the table. You with me? You're lifting your corner, your section of this mission that we are koinonia partners in. This is our partnership. Let's talk for a minute about um, this idea of sharing. Is this idea of sharing and experiences with one another, first of all, it's going to be applicable to your relationship with Christ, and then we're going to see how it's then played out in application towards one another. Um, the Apostle Paul is um, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's talking about communion. And so um, if you're new to church, we sometimes refer to this as the Lord's Supper, or if you come from a real formal church setting, it's the Eucharist. Here we call it communion. Um, we're all describing, for the most part, the same thing. And, and this idea of communion is this tangible thing that we do together where we take a cup and we take bread. And so again, if you're new to church, you may not know the fullness of that, but there's some, some, some beautiful weighty symbolism uh, in taking communion together. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talk, is talking about that. Now listen, I really want to slow down here. I really want what we're about to talk, th- talk through to sink in. In verse 16, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, that's the cup, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? That's the word koinonia. Is it not koinonia in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? What he's saying is that when we take communion, we have this tangible, symbolic reminder that you and I, in a small way, share in the sufferings of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, the same author, Paul, he's going through his testimony. He's talking about how he was really well educated and he had these high prominent positions before he became a Christian, but he lost them all. He says, I forsake all that stuff. I gave it all up as like rubbish so that I might, what, attain a relationship with Christ, a fellowship with Christ. And look at what he says in Philippians 3, 10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Wait a second. Paul wasn't there when Jesus died. How does he share in the sufferings of Jesus? We might be able to see Peter doing that, right? Or John doing that. What what Paul is saying is, listen, as I walk through hardship and suffering in this life, even though it's small compared to the sufferings of Jesus and what he did on the cross for me, like I see it as a participation in his suffering. So this idea that if you become a Christian, you get saved, life will go so easy for you. No. The world you live in is still broken. It's been broken since Genesis 3. We call it the fallen world. 
You're going to encounter suffering. Things are not going to go your way, Christ's follower. And when it happens, what, what do we, we realize? Oh, I'm partaking in, in a small way in the suffering of Lord Jesus. What he did in a, in a dramatic way, in, a, in a, an exponential way, on the cross, this thing I'm going through, this diagnosis, whatever it is that I'm facing, this hardship and this suffering is a participation. That's the word he's using. It's a sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Listen, we're also called to share in each other's sufferings. We're also called to walk in the trenches with one another. That passage I quoted earlier, 1 Corinthians 12. When one member of the body suffers, we all what? Suffer. We feel it. That can't happen unless we're walking in koinonia. You don't feel that by simply being a member of a club. Right? There has to be a deeper kinship than that. That when one member suffers, we all suffer together. Listen to this. This is in Philippians chapter 1. Paul is talking about his suffering. Verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you where? In my heart. That sounds like koinonia to me. Does it sound like koinonia to you? Like that's kinship. That's deep. I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers. That word partaker, the root word is koinonia, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, nobody who, who, who he wrote this letter to was actually with him in prison. But what Paul is saying is, listen, when I was in prison suffering, I know you were suffering with me. You were laboring with me. You were praying for me. You were writing me letters of encouragement. I can tell. You know how I can tell? Because the next time I saw you in person, I could see it on your face. You missed me, and I missed you. You longed to be with me, and I longed to be with you. Because why? We have koinonia. Yeah, it was hard being in prison. But you suffered with me. You shared in my suffering. The fellowship of Jesus includes sharing your life with other believers in that way, that you share both in suffering and blessing. One rejoices, we all rejoice. The one suffers, we all suffer. Now, this last facet of um, Koinonia that we talked about, we're going to pick this up in Romans chapter 15. And um, what uh, Paul is doing, he's encouraging the Romans in something that they did well. In verse 26, he says, For Macedonia, uh, and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And that word contribution, it's that same word we've been talking about, koinonia. So something about their generous giving here is a reflection of this intimate kinship that they have to where he decided, you know what, I'm not going to just use a generic word for generous gift. He's going to say, no, 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 I'm going to use the word koinonia. Because even though you've never met the people you gave to, Right? It was an extension of our fellowship. In 2 Corinthians 9, 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So that's so much more than this idea of a benevolent gift or a GoFundMe 
for a really, really, you know, s- desperate situation that needs help. This is the idea. No, no, you're, you're contributing in this situation because we're all in this together. We've got a mutual, uh, kind of a mutual, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We have this mutual interest in the thing we're giving to. You with me? So when you contribute and I contribute, we're all throwing in together here. You're not giving to me and I'm not giving to you. We're throwing in together. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. The word share is koinonia. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So here's kind of the back end of this thing is that the fellowship of Jesus includes sharing your financial resources with the church. That's both on a consistent regular basis, but also be a, there's a readiness to do that like spontaneously. So the, so the continual readiness of like, hey, we, we're all in together. We're giving together. We're, like, we're, like, some of you give generously here and you don't have kids in the kids ministry, but you're funding that. Why? Because we're all in this together. Sometimes somebody will come up and ask us about mission endeavors that we're in connection with, um, like Grace House. I'm going to say, hey, I really feel prompted to, to give uh, to missions. So how do I do that? So I, I might ask, well, are you already given to the church? Yeah, 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 I'm given. Okay, well, first of all, I want you to know you're already given to Grace House. You're already given to the mission because we're throwing in together. Now, if God like, convicts you to give above and beyond to some missional endeavor that we're involved in, go for it. Like, but understand, like, we are throwing all in together. It's not the people in kids' ministry supplying what's needed for kids' ministry. That's, that's silo. That's not koinonia. It's not the youth ministry getting together and going, you know, let's raise money for just our ministry. It's like, no, we're all in this together. We're throwing in together. And so we're going to look just briefly then at how this plays out in real time. What does this look like in real life? So back to Acts 2, verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's what it looks like. You could also flip to Acts 4. You're going to see it described again. Right? So our relationship, our fellowship with God is made visible in our relationship and fellowship with one another. The language of our fellowship, um, I know there's a lot of like buzz talk around um, this idea of culture. If, if you work for a company, you may have heard about culture, or that word's just coming up a lot. Um, it's not enough to say, you know what, Here, here's what our culture is, and write out some statements and put them on the wall. That doesn't create culture. Uh, one of the indications that you actually have a unique culture in your workplace or in your home, or even in your friendships, is that you begin to develop a common language. Like you have inside jokes, you can like say, or you make a reference and everybody knows what you're talking about. You have this common language. So this is the language, the common language of what it means to be a part of the koinonia. I am devoted to you. I'm not going anywhere. You are not too much for me. We're in this together. I'm ready to contribute financially to what we're doing. You can count on me to help carry the load. And I'm willing to share life with you and be a part of whatever you're going through, both in suffering and in blessing. Those are the kinds of things, right, that would indicate that we actually have a koinonia together. And so here's what I want to do. If you're here today and you're like, whoa, 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 you lost me at relationship with God. I haven't followed anything else that you've said. Let's start there. None of this is going to make sense to you without first having a relationship or a fellowship with God. 
And so I want to start there. If that's where you are, and you have no idea how to start a relationship with God, like, what do I do? Is there a special prayer? What, how? Like, first of all, this is, this is a journey of faith. It's a relationship that's predicated on your faith and what God has done for you. And what God would want you to know today is that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. That's why we have this on the stage as a reminder. His son died on a cross for you. He paid the penalty for our sins together, yours and mine. He took those sins to the grave. He was dead for three days. And when he rose from the dead, he rose victoriously over sin and death. That anybody who would place their faith in him would have salvation, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and be invited into this thing we're calling koinonia. That's where it starts. If that's where you are today, I want to encourage you to grab one of our prayer partners that'll be down here at the front or one of our elders. Let us know where you're at. Let us answer any questions that you might have. Let's pray for you. A few weeks ago, we were talking about baptism. Several of you were like, I think that's, that's where I'm at. I really, God's called me to take that next step. If that's you, let us know. Again, grab a prayer partner, grab an elder, let us know, and we'll answer any questions you have about that. Anything going on in your life, just a burden right now, you need somebody to pray for you about, Again, prayer partners. They're going to be up here in this last song. All right, so I'm going to ask a couple of questions for us to think about application, what we talked about today, and then we're going to pray together, and the worship team's going to come back up. So first of all, let me just ask you this. What does your fellowship with God look like? You bump into a coworker this week, and your coworker's like, okay, what does your fellowship with God look like? How would you answer that question? What does your fellowship with God look like? And then I want you to begin thinking about how should your fellowship with God begin to impact your fellowship with other people is there anything that God is doing in your life out of his goodness that's not coming out of your life visibly towards others maybe this is an area God would challenge you on this morning in what ways may God be speaking to you today about partnering with us in ministry maybe you heard that table illustration you're like okay show me where I need to step I'm ready I'm ready to to, to latch on to this thing Or maybe for you, whenever we started talking about this idea of contributing financially to this thing that we're all in together on, maybe God stirred in your heart in that way. I'm gonna pray for us now that we would respond um, in in the way that God has spoken to each of us. And our worship team's coming up and they're gonna lead us in some singing. So let's do this. God, thank you so much for uh, the power of your word that even just one word from your holy scriptures, God, can say so much. God can challenge us so deeply. And so, Father, we stand before you today just confessing that we um, don't perfectly reflect this biblical idea of koinonia, but, God, we want to. God, we long to become more and more the church that you're calling us to be. So I pray, God, as we walk through these scriptures together, it would be more than just a time to learn. It would be a time to change. That, God, you would work on our hearts, transforming us into the image of Christ together. Father, may we become a people. God, so committed and devoted to this idea of koinonia that at just the mentioning of the word, God, we would know exactly what that looks like. That God, our fellowship with you, our relationship with you would be visible in our relationships with one another. And Father, we pray for anybody here that doesn't know you personally, that today would be the day of salvation, that you would, God, stir that in their hearts and that they would come to you. Grab one of our volunteers or our prayer partners or our elders and just, God, ask the question, how do I become a Christian? So God, now as we stand to sing, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, work in us, continue to speak in us, and continue to transform us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.